What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Sport Universe podcast. It's me, Brian. I'm Joe and Nick. What's going on, guys? And Max. Hello, everybody. Okay, so we're going to talk about the Dodgers winning the World Series, Steve Cohen, football, hockey, basketball, you know the drill. Okay, so let's get into baseball first. So, first thing I want to start off with, uh, congrats to the LA Dodgers for winning their first World Series since 1988. Um, I didn't know it was that long, but... That's surprising to me. The Dodgers have been good for a while, but just have never been able to get it done. Um, I guess a summary. It happened, like, I think, like, Tuesday. So, um, the Dodgers ended up winning 4-2 in the series over the Rays. Um, The offense was, once again, the defining factor. Obviously, both sides pitched semi-well. They had the pitching, but the offense of the Dodgers was just explosive. Uh, Corey Seager had a great uh, World Series. Uh, Mookie Betts, great playoffs overall, but also great World Series, including his defense, was something to watch. Um, Yeah, it was a really fun World Series. Um, If you're a Rays fan listening to this, you should not be disappointed at all. The Rays played outstanding um, throughout the whole season, but including the playoffs. Um, And the Dodgers are just a very good team, and that's what a lot of people expected at the beginning of the season when they got Mookie Betts to just win the World Series. And that's what happened. So congrats to the Dodgers. Um, one thing I did want to bring up was a little Justin Turner situation. Um, <clears throat> I have my opinion. Maybe I'll let Nick and Max talk about it if they have any opinions. But I don't understand how Justin Turner was able to... Just thinking about how strict everything's been with baseball and all other sports, I don't understand how Justin Turner was allowed onto the field. Actually, let me give some context. So Justin Turner was taken out... In the eighth inning um, of Game Six of the World Series, the final game, um, because he his test came back positive for coronavirus. Um, something I have to say about that: I don't know how it ended up being in the middle of the game. They got the news that he was positive. Um, I feel like the timing of that just doesn't really make sense and should be figured out differently. Um, but yes, he was taken out of the game in the beginning. No one really knew why he was taken out, but then it became known that he was taken out for the coronavirus. Um, they started their investigation about how Justin Turner was able to get back onto the field, I think, the day after the World Series. But ultimately, he got back on the field for the celebration. Um, there's pictures and videos of him hugging people, giving high fives, taking his mask off for the picture, um, for the World Series picture. Uh, just a lot of things that shouldn't have happened. Um, and Justin Turner being a former Met, I hold him to a higher standard than what he did. So I'm disappointed in him. Um, But then again, you have to look on the other side. They had just won the World Series, and to a certain point, um, people are going to turn a blind, uh, is it turn a blind eye, I guess, to things that are going on. They're just really excited. Um, That's the other side of the argument. But in my opinion, I don't understand how it happened and how it was allowed to happen. I don't know. Do Nick or Max have anything they want to say to them about that? Uh, Nick can go first. Uh, sure. I, you know, ultimately, very irresponsible from Justin Turner. I think, to me, that's the only real issue we have here that that is non-debatable, right? He, him knowing that he he tested positive, him to go back onto the field and he was seen without a mask even on the field. It's just a very irresponsible move from Justin Turner. And whatever suspensions come to him um, via Major League Baseball is well warranted. Um, and, you know, ultimately, him getting suspended is not going to change what happened. The damage is done, unfortunately. 
um, you know, in terms of COVID and also reputation on the league, it hurts them a lot. Um, you know, while everyone's talking, we're trying to talk about the Dodgers winning the World Series. Yeah. Uh, everyone's talking about Justin Turner instead. With that being said, it is a question of how he did get back onto yeah. the field. Why was he not removed from the stadium at that point? Um, and then B, I think, uh, you know, on the MLB's fall side of things, uh, with the testing, why is the testing coming back during the game right. that he's testing positive? Um, you know, there, there's a ton of different tests that they have for the coronavirus, mm-hmm. and, you know, it varies in terms of, uh, you know, how quickly you get results back. So my thing is, is like, I believe you can get tested, and then, you know, when they have a bunch of tests going through, let's say, your local doctor, you know, they have to do everybody in order. It may take a couple of days to get a test back. Um, you know, it's actually fair, but when we're talking about the MLB, right, They do they not have their own entity to do testing in terms of their own medical staff so that they can get these rapid tests back very quickly? Um, again, I, I know everything is... Not 100%, right, in terms of is the test 100% positive? How quickly can they get back the tests? You know, uh, ultimately, I believe, from my knowledge of science, that they essentially take the cells and then look at them to see if they're they're infected with coronavirus. And, you know, sometimes you don't get the, the greatest batch of cells. And, um, you know, there's a bunch of different types of tests you can do. So it's all dependent upon when you get those type of tests back. But I just feel like they could have done a better job of getting a test back. Uh, you know, those tests, like, get let the players come in in the morning and make sure you have those tests back um, by the end of the, by the, before the game starts, really yeah. before they all come back. Um, and I think you know it's harder to do when you have a bunch of teams playing. But you know we're talking in particular instance. We're talking about the World Series. You only have two teams playing. Um, all the MLB's focus is on that. So you're telling me they couldn't get this right? Yeah. Um, bad bad look for the MLB. And you know Manfred, um, his reputation in the league is consistently falling and this may be a little bit out of his control but it doesn't it doesn't look good for the league yeah. that he kind of lost with the Astros scandal um, so a lot of a lot of negative consequences out of the Justin Turner move and ultimately at the end of the day the only person you can 100% blame is Justin Turner himself Max anything you want to add to um, yeah I was at Nick's last point I was it was going to be my what I was going to say was I, well excuse me that was what I was going to say it was like First of all, how does the how do you go on with the game and have the positive test in the middle of the game? Like I feel like that's some at least in the MLB or at least in the NHL, NBA, NFL, whatever. There's never been a case where that's happened. It's always figured out before the game that nobody tests positive during the game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know how that's possible. I think it's a bad look for the MLB. It's a bad look for Justin Turner. I mean, you don't want to knowingly go out and infect people. Although I will say, I don't want to. You know, deflect blame from Turner or like anything like that. But if my team won the championship and like, and my player, my teammates are okay with United COVID and all that, I mean, would I can't say I personally would not want to go celebrate. I mean, it's 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 a tough situation all around. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's it's almost like a no win because if you don't go out there and celebrate, you miss everything. But if you go out there, it's a it's a bad look and it's irresponsible. Yeah, there's no debating that. But I mean, it's. Well, I mean, it's it's just, yeah, like I said, it's tough all around. Yeah, that, I mean, that kind of goes to my last point that I said, like, they won the World Series, and to a certain point, that's their ultimate goal every season, and to get to that point, I'm sure a lot of them are like, I want to celebrate with my teammates and don't care about what the next two weeks or how long it's going to, if they get coronavirus, how long it's going to take for them to battle through that. Um, and, I mean, 
Yeah, that must have been how how what their mindset was because I'm sure there were te- players on that team that weren't happy that Justin Turner came out on the field. Um, but yeah, so going off of that, um, going into I guess more off season news, Steve Cohen became the Mets. Um, owner, I guess it was, what's today, Monday, I guess it was Saturday, officially became it. I mean, there's still little things that he has to go through to be, like, official, but the votes and everything, and Bill de Blasio's little thing, everything's settled out, and it's, like, almost for sure that he's the owner of the Mets, and he even went to Twitter to say, like, um, what do Mets fans want to see this ownership do, which, um, I mean, right now, Steve Cohen is, like, the, I don't want to say, like, god of Mets fans, but it's just, like, on top of the world when it comes to Mets fans, they are idolizing him like nothing. I mean, like, everything, because of all the money he has and what the supposed future of the New York Mets is going to be like. And, I mean, I can't say I'm not excited for Steve Cohen. He definitely has a bit of, uh... He has to show that he's going to be willing to pay, and I'm sure he's going to. I mean, he has, like, $14 billion to his name. Um, but I'm really excited. I mean, it opens up so much when it comes to free agency for the Mets this offseason and going into the future. I mean, he said he's a Mets fan and he wants to change the attitude when it comes to Mets, a Mets fan base, Mets team, just every way that you look at the Mets, he wants it to be different. He wants people to, he wants it to be an actual big market team like it should be instead of a small market, a small market team in a big city. I think I said that right. Um, yeah. It's really exciting. Um, Mets fans should be very excited. Um, I mean, there's nothing negative to really say here. You finally get the Wilpons out of... Um, I mean, they do have a 5% ownership or something. But anyway, you finally get the Wilpons out of being complete owners of the Mets or the majority owners of the Mets. It's just an exciting time. The next thing that has to happen is Woody Johnson has to leave the Jets. But I'll, I'll stick to the Mets for now. Um it's really exciting. I don't want to keep saying that. But going from that, I want to talk about the top free agents because I feel like that's a good transition. So going through the top free agents, um, i say, like, let's go through the top ten. So obviously the first overall is Trevor Bauer. Um, he's the he's going to win the NL Cy Young for this season. He had an outstanding season. Um Let's just, where are his stats? Um, <laughs> yeah, he had a 1.73 ERA in the 2020 season. That's really all I have to say. That's an outstanding ERA. Um, he's definitely been a bit erratic throughout his career, um, but I'd say his recent years, he's um, definitely come into his own and has become a pitcher that teams fear and want at the top of their rotation. And when it comes to teams that I see possibly going out and getting him, there's a lot. There's a lot that need pitching. There's a lot that have the money for to spend on someone like Trevor Bauer, one of them being the Mets. Um, other places, the Dodgers, they have the money to spend on Trevor Bauer. The Yankees also have the money. Yankees. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of teams that need pitching or a ton of teams that don't really need pitching but just want to continue to make their rotation very good. And adding Trevor Bauer is, like, a number one ace to any team. I mean, for the Yankees and Mets, he'd probably be a number two, which is insane. But that's what would be so exciting, to get Trevor Bauer on your team. He's also, um, I forgot the name of it, but he did bring up the possibility of going to, uh, I think, uh, the Japanese League. 
Um, I think that was more of just like a play on his part to try and get teams to pay him even more maybe or to show that there's other options out there. If you've ever seen, uh, Trevor Bauer does throughout the season did like a, a vlog for throughout the COVID season. And if you watched him and watched his personality, he's definitely an interesting guy. Um, and if you just know about what he's done in terms of the conflict between MLB and him, he's definitely looking not to start trouble, but he doesn't mind it and doesn't mind the conflict. And so him saying the thing about the Japanese league isn't that big of a surprise, but it is funny. Um, I don't see that happening, but that is, I guess, something to keep an eye on. Um, next up, JT Ramuto, probably number two on the board for most people. Um, for me, I think this is like the perfect fit for the Mets, and I don't see a reason why they don't go after him. They have the money now. Um, they've needed to catch over so many years. He's not anywhere close to a stereotypical, t- stereotypical catcher, which is a great thing. He's fast. He can hit. He can hit for power. He can just hit. Um, I guess this is a stere- This could be a stereotypical defensive catcher, but he's really good defensively. He's everything the Mets need him to be. Um, the only thing that it comes down to is giving him a, um, is giving him a large, a lot of years on their con on his contract. I think he's thirty now or turning thirty, so I'm pretty sure he wants like anywhere from five to eight years or something like that. I think eight years is definitely a risk. We've seen with these contracts that teams give to the give to players that have have had good seasons, turn around on them. I mean, the Yankees traded for one of them in Stanton, and it hasn't really worked out for them. Um, and there's a lot of things like that. But I think with the Mets and the money they have now, that would definitely be a possibility. Um, in terms of other teams, the Yankees are also on the board for him. Um, they want to move on from Gary Sanchez, and he would be a great. Uh, pick up for them the Nationals, um the Cardinals who I'll get to but Yadier Molina is also a free agent. Yeah. So next up I think got to go with DJ LeMahieu. Uh he received a qualifying offer from the Yankees. Um I don't think he's going to take the qualifying offer because he can make a lot of money. Um he's had some great seasons with the Yankees. He had good seasons with the Rockies, but the past 2 years with the Yankees have been outstanding for him. Um the Yankees are definitely suited for him and probably will likely re-sign him. But other teams that could be interested, I feel like the Dodgers are always going to be interested in good players because they just have the money to be. Um, Yankees, Dodgers, um, maybe the Nationals, teams like that. Um, number, th- I guess we're on four, is George Springer, <coughs> who for me is also a perfect match for the, for the um, Mets, who need a center fielder really bad a quality center fielder, not someone they just throw into center field and hope that they can be semi-good at defense. Um, They really need to fill out their outfield, and to be able to have a Michael Conforto, George Springer, and I guess Dom Smith outfield next season, that would be really exciting. Um, George Springer, obviously a former Astro at this point because now it's the offseason. But he played, um, I think he had a two sixty five batting average, I don't know the other stats, but that's an okay, that's a pretty good average, but his previous seasons before that have been outstanding. I think the year before he had an almost 300 average, 36 home runs, something like that, almost 100 RBIs. So definitely a player that is up there as a top center fielder in the league, and his defense is also there. But other teams, I mentioned the Mets, 
Um, the White Sox could be interested. Um, who else? Maybe the Blue Jays could be another team. I'm going to go through two more because this is taking a little longer than I thought it would. But I think the next up would be Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman was received a qualifying offer from the Mets. Um, I think that he probably won't take the qualifying offer because I think he has a lot more money to be able to be made. Um, but talking from the standpoint that I'm a Mets fan, the Mets really need to sign him because what they got in terms of who they in terms of what they traded for, they basically got three months from a guy that was supposed to be on their team for one and a, one and a half years. Obviously, he decided not to play this season because of COVID, which I totally understand. But the Mets traded a lot for him and need to get more out of him. So I definitely hope they go out and sign him. Um, other teams that could be interested, the Angels, um, the Braves, Phillies. He's another good pitcher, and any team that wants pitching, usually. Uh, I guess the next person would be, actually, there's two more I want to talk about, Marcelo Zuna. Marcelo Zuna has had, basically had two straight seasons of, like, one, one-year contracts where he was trying to prove himself again, because if you remember, when he was on the Cardinal, when he went from the, when he was on the Marlins, he had some off years, some really good years, and then he went to the Cardinals, didn't have a good year, um, <clears throat> but then he went to the Braves these past two seasons, I'm pretty sure I'm not messing up the timeline, <clears throat> um, but He's definitely been good, and Marcelo Zuna would be a fit for a lot of teams because he just has, he just has the power and he's able to hit. The Braves, I see him staying in the NL East between the Braves and the Nationals. Both teams are high on him, so I wouldn't be surprised if he moves that far away. And the final person I want to talk about, Justin Turner. Um, actually, okay, uh, Justin Turner. I'll stay say is my last person. Justin Turner is also a free agent. Um, he's interesting. Justin Turner has played, ever since he moved on from the Mets, which is a total Mets thing to happen, he's been an all-star, not every season, but he's played really well for the Dodgers and is someone that I could see getting a good amount of money. Um, he's turned his career upside upside down in a good way um, in terms of going to the Dodgers and absolutely demolishing the ball and also being solid defensively. Um, so definitely... Something to keep an eye on in terms of that, in terms of Justin Turner. And I guess that's well ended. There's a lot of other free agents that we could talk about, but I don't want to spend too much time on free agency. Um, and I think that's it for the baseball section. I guess we'll move on to football now. Uh, sure. And by the way, just uh, finishing off the MLB, uh, the Yankees, I think, will sign, re-sign DJ LeMayhew. Um, they're going to let Brett Gardner go, mm-hmm. and they're going to let Paxson walk. And then Gary Sanchez is kind of still up to debate, and as you mentioned, um, it really depends whether they're going to sign, re-sign Sanchez or go for JT. Um, if not, you know, I really hope that, the, you know, I think ultimately I hope the Yankees let Sanchez walk just because he's been so inconsistent. Pick up JT, get Bauer. Um, I think Tanaka's up for grabs yes, as well. I was going to talk about him, but I decided not to. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with him. I'd imagine they, they re-sign him. It just it makes the most sense to me for them to re-sign him because of, you know they took him over from Japan, and he's he's been a good pitcher in the past, and he's kind of lost it a little bit, but he you know he, he's still a solid pitcher, and I think for the value versus like the price we're going to pay him, I think he's going to be worth it for the Yankees to re-sign. I've been seeing a lot of rumors about him going back to Japan, which would be interesting, but that, that is also a possibility. I, again, I hope he stays with the Yankees just because 
let's say we do get somebody like Trevor Bauer, having somebody like Tanaka in the lineup is, is really helpful in solidifying that lineup. Um, the Yankees, I expect to make a decent amount of moves this offseason for sure, though. They have to with, with you know, how stale, I don't even call it like a stalemate they've been in um, in terms of getting making that push to the World Series. Mm-hmm. Um, so going over to football, um, a lot, I would say this is probably the most interesting week of football to date so far. I mean, uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on. Um, before we go into the games, I'm going to start with the trade, the trade deadline, actually, and just try to cover that so we can just try to focus on the games. Um, I think the, the trade deadline is this Thursday, I believe. Um, I think it's tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? Okay, I think it's, it's tomorrow, tomorrow at some point. It's, so it's Tuesday this week. I thought it was Thursday. I don't know Let me why. actually check that really quickly so you can keep talking. 100%. So um, regardless of when it is, uh, it's coming up. And there's been a lot of moves in this in these past like week week or so um, from trades to signings to, ter- uh, to contract terminations. Um, one name that pops up to me in terms of you know terminating of contracts, so you know the release. Oh man, <laughs> next sign. Yes, that sucks. <laughs> and it is tomorrow. Okay. I apologize. <laughs> I disconnected. <laughs> you can. Oh, Jackie. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so in terms of terminations. Uh, over this past week or so, um, we saw Don Terry Poe get released by the Cowboys. Um, you know, he, he kind of has not done as well since he was on the Chiefs. Um, I still think he's a solid veteran player, um, so we'll have to see where he lands. He was released like four days ago, and I don't think he signed anywhere yet. Um, Eli Apple was released by the Panthers. He's now been through, I don't know how many teams. Giants drafted him, I think, in 2014. I can't remember the exact year at this point. First round pick was awful. Uh, released to the Saints, picked him up. He was okay for the Saints. Saints let him walk. Played for the Panthers. Panthers wasn't good. Um, so he's now gone. Um, uh, so I'm just looking through the names here. Uh, the punter, Dustin Colquitt, was released by the Steelers. Uh, so a lot of, t- you know, decent names going up in the open market. Um, Timmy Jernigan was released by the Broncos. So, um, you know, a lot of decent names over the past week or so going into the open market in terms of uh, contract terminations. Um, looking at some some players that have been waived that are now open in the open market. Uh, Hakeem Butler, who has been sort of a wide end, a wide receiver tight end, he was released by the Eagles. Um, again, I'm just going through all some of these names now. Um, you know, a bunch of different guys here and there. Um, but I think more interesting is going to be the signings that happened over the past over this past week or so. Um, not the signings, but the trades. Um, not interesting signings. So just going to the trades. Um, we have so. Over this, I think this is in the month of October so far. Um, we've had, well, starting off with yesterday. I started with yesterday's trade, so I'm a little bit over the place. Uh, Avery Williamson was dealt by the Jets um, to the Steelers, who is a pretty solid linebacker. Um, had a couple good years over in Tennessee. Um, I've always been a fan of Avery Avery Williamson. Um, I always thought he's been a solid linebacker. Um, so I'm, I think he's going to be a good addition for that Steelers defense, and he's only going to add on to how, how good they've been. That Steelers team is the real deal, and that's only going to add to them. And, of course, the Jets are trying to release, or not release, but get rid of any players that are of veteran age-ish and older, uh, trying to flip it into picks. They need to have a, a really commit to a rebuild here. Um, and, you know, where they go with that, it really depends, because they could go in the rebuild in terms of get rid of Sam Darnold and try to, Pick up Trevor Lawrence if they do get the first overall pick. Um, and that being said, I, I want to talk about this a little bit too. The Jets, this Jets team is probably the worst team I think I've ever seen play football. Um, I, I honestly think at this point, the 0-16 Browns, which we saw I think two years ago at this point, 
uh, three years ago, and that, it was a little bit over three because that was before. That's when they got Baker Mayfield. So I believe it's three to four years ago. Um, I think that that team was better than the Jets team. Uh, the incompetence of Adam Gase and the coordinators, you know, let alone the Jets have minimal talent, right? Um, they've had a little bit of injuries here and there, like Denzel Mims finally got to touch the field this weekend, and he was actually pretty solid. I always thought he was pretty good out of Baylor, um, so I thought it was a good draft pick for them, and I'm, I'm pretty high on Denzel Mims, so I think it's you know a positive they have. But will they move on from Sam Darnold, because he's not great. I think you can win a, a championship with him, but you need to have the right system around him, and I don't think they have that at all. Uh, I just think the coaching, you know, any anybody can make something of minimal talent. Again, look at the Patriots, right? They've had a pretty rough season this year. Um, we'll get into that a little bit later. But the fact that Bill Belichick is able to do anything with that roster is really a testament to his coaching, where the Jets don't have that at all. Adam Gase has been atrocious. That their offense, I think, has been lot, their defense has been solid these past couple weeks, and I have to give them credit there. But their offense is awful. Um, you know, between their offensive line play, uh, their ability to create yards on offense. I, I think I saw them run seven consecutive wide receiver screens to Braxton, Braxton Barrios, and it's just. Braxton Berrios is Braxton Berrios. He's, he's not. He's not somebody that's going to win you a game. Who is um, that? Exactly. I think he he was a like fourth, fifth string wide receiver for the Patriots. I think two years back. I have no idea who that is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is exactly the point. He's like the Jets' number three wide receiver or something. Yeah, and they were just. <laughs> oh my goodness! And it's just like I was watching their offense, and it's just like. Uh, you know, they were getting blitzed consistently by the Chiefs, and Sam Darnold on offense had no idea what to do. He'd check out into wide receiver screens and just, and just you know, pray to God, he completes it for a yard or two. And I don't, I just don't understand what, where they're going on offense. In my opinion, I really don't know what else to say about the Jets, but they are just awful, 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 awful. Um, I'll stop here, and Max, do you want to say anything? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the Jets, I mean, I think we all know at this point, I definitely the worst team in the league this year. I, I don't know about the Browns, because, like, worse than the Browns, because I mean, they still have Hugh Jackson, who ranks as one of the worst head coaches of all time. So I, I'm not going to go that far yet, but, I mean, I, I think we both know this team is, or the three of us know this team is just terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, I personally had more faith in Hugh Jackson at this point, which is sad. <laughs> but is definitely, great. definitely, the fact that it, I can, like, I know you disagree with me at this point, but the fact that it's even debatable is yeah. pretty sad. <laughs> I honestly don't completely disagree. I think it's very debatable. Yeah. <laughs> um, that goes with that. Um, so just going through some more of the trades. Uh, the Bengals dealt Carlos Dunlap to the Seahawks. Um, you know, I think it's a pretty good pickup for the Seahawks. They really need to work on that defense if they are going to become a championship level team this year. You know, I think they've been their offense has been phenomenal. DK Metcalf isn't great. That offense has really held its own. But that defense has been really lacking, um, and I think Carlos Dunlap is a, is a piece of the defense that'll give him, you know, a little bit of versatility. Carlos Dunlap, you know, maybe not the greatest uh, defensive end at this point, uh, but definitely still competent, even as a veteran. And I think that's a really good, that's a really nice pickup for them, and for the Bengals. Obviously, uh, we talked about a little bit about this last week. Dealing the veteran players is going to help them towards the future, and they've been a pretty good team this year. Um, to, you know, better than I even thought. You know, still not a great playoff team or even a playoff team, but um, I think this really helps them. Both yeah, teams, I'm, honestly. Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, the, the Bengals, they were not going to make the playoffs, it looks like, so they needed to kind of, re, they just need to not really rebuild, but just kind of retool, get some more draft picks for the future. And it makes sense to, I mean, they don't get a huge return, get rid of one of their veterans for a pick they could use later. And for the Seahawks, I think it makes a lot of sense. As you said, their offense really, really good. Guys like Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. 
um, Chris Carson whenever he returns. You know, but that defense, especially that pass rush, really mm-hmm. is not a threat. So, I mean, I hope Carlos Dunlap's, I mean, he's not going to... I wouldn't call him a game changer. I don't think he's going to transform that defense into some monster unit or anything like that. But it definitely gets gives them a little more help, and they can be more competitive with other teams in the future, especially those with, who don't have great offensive lines. 100% agree. Um, and then going on from there, the, I'm going to skip over one trade, and I'm going to get back to them because I think it's the biggest trade of the week. I'm going to go to the Giants and the Cardinals. Um, this trade is something that caught my eye as a Giants fan. <laughs> um, the Giants wind up trading Marcus Golden back to the Cardinals, who he was with, I think, two years ago. Um, it's going to be similar to the trade, too. I'll get to a second. Uh, Marcus Golden, who's been pretty good for the Giants over the past couple seasons, uh, they signed him to some sort of weird contract where they gave him, like, an offer, and if he didn't... It was, it was like, a really used clause. Essentially, they gave him an offer. If nobody else signed him, he had to sign with the, back with the Giants, and that's what would ha- wind up happening. Um, and now the Giants dealt him on a one-year contract, really hasn't lived up to what they wanted him for. Um, and I think that's a good trade for the Giants, essentially. You know, I'm a fan of Marcus Golden. I think he's pretty good. But if it, what the state of the Giants they're in, he's the type of player that if you have a pretty solid defense, like, I, I don't know, maybe, like the Chiefs, right, where you have a, you may need an extra pass rusher here and there, like Marcus Golden could really be that guy for you, um, really help, like, add to a championship-level defense. Um, but I don't think he's a player that's going to change a defense, and with the state of the Giants are in right now, it's it's a good move, I think, for both teams, honestly. Um, the Cardinals, <clears throat> they've been pretty good this, this year, and I, I talked about them, you know, going on from last year. That this building team, and I think Marcus Golden definitely helps that defense. Um, I also honestly don't. Do you have any comments on that, Max? It's kind of a small trade, but yeah, I really don't have anything um, that you didn't cover. I mean, I, just, I think it makes sense for both sides. Giants just get rid of a guy, get a draft pick if you can. Cardinals kind of load up as much as you can, and you're not. I don't think they're making super pushes yet, but I mean, this can't hurt them. It's a low risk move. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said. The last trade that I wanted to cover is going to be Everson Griffin, uh, who was the biggest trade of the week, pretty much. All right, so we had a little bit of technical difficulties, but Everson Griffin is on a one-year prove-it uh, deal with the Cowboys, or was on on a one-year prove-it deal with the Cowboys, and with the state of the Cowboys that they're in, um, they're kind of in a losing position. Their team is in a transition state right now, and it's kind of a weird one. Uh, Dak Prescott, who was doing well, obviously got injured, and they're all the way down to Ben DiNucci at this point. Um, and that defense has been pretty abysmal for the Cowboys. I guess the Cowboys felt as if, um, you know, he's not really adding to our defense, and we're not probably not going to be a competitive team. You may make the playoffs, may not. Um, and the odds that we sign Everson, re-sign Everson Griffin at the end of the season are not going to be great. So let's get something out of him. And then I guess the Lions feel he's going to add to our pass rush. Um, we feel that we can be somewhat of a competitive team, and hopefully we can re-sign him. Uh, definitely an interesting trade. I mean, again, I think this trade is more interesting to me because it's kind of that second. Second time we've seen, uh, you know, the Vikings defensive. Well, not, not stable. But, you know, Yannick Ngakwe got traded from the Vikings, um, and then Everson Griffin was on the was in the Vikings. I, I, I don't know why I made that connection. They were both in the Vikings for a while, but they're not. Um, but I don't know. It's just an interesting trade to me. Um, Everson Griffin's a very capable pass rusher, in my opinion, and um, I, interesting to see him get moved so early. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense for the Cowboys to. What was his contract again, Everson um, Griffin's? I believe he was, on, he was on a one-year, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, the Cowboys, I mean, they're in the NFC East, but I still don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, I think it's a good move to, you know, again, get more draft picks if you can't. The guys on a one-year deal can't make the playoffs. I think it's the same deal. For the Lions, I think it's strange that they're the ones buying at the deadline. I mean, it's it's kind of the same cycle they go, th- they go through every year. They're going to be kind of competitive through the end of October, be like 3-3 three and three or whatever, kind of just hang around there. They think they're okay. 
but then they're not. Everything just spirals out of control. I think that's going to happen this year. I don't think this move really helps them at all in the long run, and I don't. I they shouldn't really give up a draft pick. I don't think maybe they'll prove me wrong, but I, I don't think it's going to work out. I mean, I agree with you. I think this he this only is going to put them in that middle ground that we talk about that you don't really get anywhere with, as a franchise where the Lions have been for so long, and does this really help them long term? Um, I don't think so because he again, Everson Griffin is thirty two years old, and the. Yeah, you know, the Lions are kind of in this state where it's like, are you going to rebuild or are you going to make significant moves to build a championship team? And I don't think they've done either of that with this Everson Griffin move. Again, Everson Griffin, good player, but is it really going to help the Lions down the line? I think I personally have seen enough for, for me to think that they should just you know, fire the head coach, fire a lot of people, but they don't. They kind of keep kicking the can down the road, and it's probably going to backfire on them. So, mm-hmm, 100%. Easy win for the rest of the NFL. Yep. So going into the games of this week, again, really interesting week of football this week. A lot of close games, a lot of, I would say, upsets, in my opinion. Um, so going right into it, we the first game of the week we had was the Falcons-Panthers. The Falcons wind up winning at 25-17. to um, Falcons bounce back here. Um, again, I think they are somewhat of a better team without Dan Quinn. Um, and I think this is a solid win for them. Um, I, I guess I had a little bit less about this. You know, I, I don't think there's much to talk about this game, but... Uh, one interesting thing that I saw was Teddy Bridgewater, unfortunately, got hurt again, was able to come back into the game. Um, but, you know, what's interesting out of that was that P.J. Walker got into the game, which um, this guy, P.J. Walker, he's been a, he's been around the, the league for quite some time now. Um, he was the, he was the XFL star from last year. The Carolina Panthers signed him. Um, he worked his all the way up to a backup spot, and he was able to touch the NFL field, which is a pretty interesting, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say exactly call it a comeback story, but, you know, uh, a story about never giving up. Um, it's a really interesting there. Uh, again, in terms of the Panthers, um, Mike Davis has kind of slowed down his rushing game. Uh, he, you know, he was doing really good at the beginning of the season. He only had 66 yards, uh, zero touchdowns. Um, ultimately, you know, not a lot to say about this game, in my opinion. Um, not that much I have to say. Uh, Max, what do you have to say? Uh, not really. Oh, the one thing I will say, I really, really, really wanted the Panthers to win this game because I think, I don't, can't remember exactly when, but this would be the first time in a very long time that the Panthers would have swept the season series against the Falcons, even in the year that they went 15-1, and their one loss was to the Falcons. So I really was hoping they got this done. I thought they would, but they didn't get it done. And I, th- I feel like that the past history kind of plays into it. It's just one of those games where it, it the, the, you, you know what I mean if you watch sports. But, I mean, it, to, I thought the Panthers would win. I thought the Panthers would win. Sadly, they didn't. And, I mean, I think you are right. I mean, the, the Falcons, I think, are a little better without Dan Quinn. But even then, this team, again, this team has talent. It just somehow they have to not choke, and they didn't in this game, so good for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, we're going to go to our next game. This one's going to be a little bit closer to Max's heart. Uh, we had the Bengals and the Titans. The mm-hmm. Bengals wound up winning this one, 31-20. Uh, you know, very unexpected for me. I expected the Titans to win this game pretty handedly, and obviously they did not. Uh, the Bengals, again, I think they're a really good team so far through this season. You're 2 5 and 1, and you just had the first overall draft pick. Um, and I've seen a lot of positives out of this Bengals team so far, um, especially from Joe Burrow, who had uh, 249 yards passing, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, 112.9 QBR. Um, on the ground game, you know, they're still without Joe Mixon, unfortunately, but once he comes back, that will be very good for them. Um, and then receiving, uh, T. Higgins, who came out of Clemson this year. Has been pretty incredible. You know, I picked him up off the waivers in fantasy. I, uh, I would say, uh, you know, kind of uneasily slid him, slid him into my flex spot over Marquise Brown, and he's done very well for me so far. So I cannot complain. 
Um, and that's me, my fantasy team. But, you know, on the field, it's been very good for uh, Joe Burrow as well. And I think, you know, I, I really like seeing when teams, not only when they draft their rookie quarterback, when they're able to get a wide receiver for him, I think a rookie wide receiver for him, I think that really goes a long way in making a quarterback feel comfortable. They feel that they can grow with that, that wide receiver. They can work on their, you know, the routes and the route timing together. Um, and I, I often see, you know, I saw it last year with Daniel Jones and Darius uh, Slayton where you have that rookie-to-rookie connection where it's like they both feel comfortable um, throwing to each other. And it's like if Joe Burrow doesn't throw the best ball, um, and this is me in my head, but I, I'd imagine like if Joe Burrow, let's say he doesn't throw the best ball, um, he, you know, he's not going to have a better wide receiver who expects better out of him. Um, they're both rookies, so I think that plays, you know, mentally I think that, that does really well. Um, unfortunately, A.J. Green, only 19 yards. Again, I think the Bengals are looking to move him. Uh, you know, we're recording this on Monday. Don't don't be surprised if we do see AJ Green moved after this week. Um, it is by and, tomorrow, by the way. Okay, it is by tomorrow. Um, so don't don't be surprised if he's moved by tomorrow. And the Titans side of things, um, you know, Derrick Henry, another great game for him. 112 yards, one touchdown. Um, you know, pretty good receiving game. Um, I guess this really one, in my opinion, falls in the defense. But uh, Max definitely has a lot more to say about it. Yeah, I got quite a bit to say about this one. All right, so from a com- just from a total team effort, this game, horrible. The team just looked awful, uncharacteristically bad. Against, you know, one of my key points coming to this game was, you know, I know the Titans are a resilient team, a good team. I thought they would come back and win, especially, you know, knowing they're the team that usually, you know, wins ugly. The Bengals lose competitive games even when they're ahead. I thought, you know, we know how to win. They don't really. I thought that played a role. But no, we ended up losing bad game, so everyone played bad, except for Derrick Henry. The um, Ryan Tannehill had an off game, he threw an interception early, that kind of switched momentum. A.J. Brown didn't have a catch for a while. Another bright spot was Corey Davis. I mean, he, he had a bunch, he had over 100 yards yesterday and then a touchdown, which was a pretty nice toe drag by him. But on offense, I thought it was just, I thought what really killed us, well, besides Tannehill, was the play calling by Arthur Smith, and it was it was especially on one drive in the third quarter. I can't remember I can't remember if it was the first or second one, but on the on that drive we hand the ball off to Derrick Henry. Bengals haven't stopped us all game. We pick up twenty one yards. Derrick Henry, um, then put him to the sideline. Deontay Foreman comes in, who's the first game with the Titans, who actually looked pretty good. But nonetheless, we don't give Derrick Henry the ball again on that drive, and then we get to second and long, where for our team it's like a no brainer run. We pass the ball, we get nowhere. How do you do that? Just put the ball in the hands of your best players. And then, on defense, even worse. First of all, our pass rushers, Jadavion Clowney and Vic Beasley. You guys are making combined $21.5 million. Do something. Clowney gets all these pressures and no results. Beasley is just like he's not even there. He's just totally invisible. And then Harold Landry sees him, but there was just one play yesterday. It just summarized the whole defense. So, Joe Burrow is sitting back. It's third and long, which as I've talked about, our third third down defense has been historically bad, and it was yesterday. So, Joe Burrow drops back to pass. Uh, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Landry, but it might have been Clowney. Anyway, one of those guys gets him. Burrow escapes it. And then I think it was Jonathan Joseph or one of our corners who tried to bring him down again. He still escaped it. And then Burrow ended up running for a seven-yard run when he should have been lost, when he should have had a loss of five, or at least... I don't even know what to say about that. That's just terrible defense and inability to finish with what I think is a, a lot of talent, especially on that D-line or the edge rushes, I, I mean. And then in the secondary, 
Jonathan Joseph has to go. He is absolutely terrible. He's done nothing good for the team. I think he has one interception all year, which was a bad throw by Kirk Cousins in that game. But he just keeps getting burned on the on the routes by wide receivers. He got burned yesterday again. I don't know why he's playing, but there is some good news. It looks like the um, it looks like John Robinson, the Titans GM, looks like he's addressed the um, terrible secondary play and. Earlier today, the Titans traded a sixth rounder to the Chargers for Desmond King, which is a steal, honestly, because this is a guy who was two years removed from being named an All-Pro. He wasn't really fitting in with the Chargers anymore because they had a bunch of corners and he was kind of the odd man out for some reason. I don't know why, but I love this move. I was watching some of his highlights today. It looks like a man who who's really good all around. He can make tackles at the line of scrimmage. He can get he can get in he can get into the box. He can obviously cover he's also dangerous on kick and punt returns this is a guy who i think is a good all-around athlete and he's a good player too um and also uh, another reason i like this because he's a slot corner and we lost logan ryan to free agency to the giants and his void hadn't really been filled but now i think this is a perfect replacement since both guys are slot corners and bring him in it's obviously it's going to be a lot a lot better than guys like jonathan joseph who may be the worst corner in the league right now so yeah, he'll so he'll be in there whether he's on the outside or the slot. He, he'll definitely, I think, be replacing Jonathan Joseph. Hopefully, that means the end of him. Uh, this still doesn't solve our pass rush. We have to be a lot better. We actually have to get some results because I don't think it's a lack of talent. I think it's just a lack of you know finishing. It, it's just kind of the same thing that Clowney's been dealing with his whole career. He just doesn't you know put together, and it's nothing to do with his talent. It's just I guess his mindset or whatever. So. That, hopefully that happens, but I think the secondary is going to be a lot better moving forward, um, obviously with King being back there, and also with Dory Jackson, I think is going to be returning sometime soon. I don't know when, but he was taken, I think you believe he was taken off IR two weeks ago and allowed to return to practice. Still has not played, probably just getting him warmed up so he doesn't go in there completely raw and re-injure himself, but I think when he comes back, actually, I, I kind of know, I don't imagine how, I don't think it can be any worse than what it's been, so I think the defense is going to be a little better. Pass rush is to improve, but we'll see what happens on the defense. It, better, it couldn't be really much worse than what's going on. You know, as far as the game yesterday goes in terms of it being a setback, I'm not going to go that far yet, honestly. I mean, I think it, it stings, especially it's the back half of our um, two consecutive losses with, into a bad team. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say the Bengals are bad, but they're just they're they're one five and one. I think that we were coming into the game five and one. They're one five and one. We should win that, but. I don't think, like I said, you're allowed one bad game every once in a while. I think, right now, I think we're going to be fine. You know, that's to be determined, obviously. But um, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that we're regressing, declining, anything. I saw a lot of, I was on Twitter yesterday, I saw a lot of people in the Nashville sports media saying stuff like that. You know, I even saw a comment like saying, huh, Jarrell Casey's just laughing at the team losing. Like, guys, calm down. Like, it's it's a bad game, but the game was terrible. But, I mean, this was the only game of the year where we've shown little to no fight. I think that's very uncharacteristic of us. I think we're going to be a lot better moving forward than that effort. So, I mean, I, I, well, Nick, I, what do you think there? I mean, we definitely talked a little bit about yesterday. Um, what we, what I, me and Max talked about, it, I was saying that um, we'll get into this game next where it's like the Pagers where you have consistently bad games. Um, I didn't talk to him about that, but, uh, you know, the P- Patriots have had consistently bad games in a row now. That's a start for concern. One bad game or two bad games with the Titans is not the end of the world. 
Um, and it's especially not showed fight in the, in the first loss to a really good team. Exactly, and I don't think the Patriots have showed that. Um, and I, what I talked about was, you know, the Titans are still, um, are they 5-2 and two now, I believe? Yes. Yeah, we're 5-2. Um, yeah, they're 5-2 and two now, so, uh, you know, not a bad record at all. And when I think of a team that has, like, a ton of fight, um, and let's say it doesn't have the best record, the 9-7 Giants, um, you know, a team with fight, pretty terrible record, and they won the Super Bowl, so uh, go figure. I think if any, you know, any team can win a Super Bowl at that point, and I think the Titans definitely can with the, the grit and the toughness they've showed through tough games. I really would not want us to be nine and seven because we do that every <laughs> year, and I just, I just don't want to. I just want to be better. We've gone four, nine and seven four years in a row. This would be number five. Just please, just do something better than that. Just honestly, I think we still win the AFC South. I mean, we're tied. We got the tiebreaker with the Colts, but again, just win the division or not, better than nine and seven, please. I think they will, honestly. I'm just saying, like, worst worst scenario, like, that's something they could end up with and they can win the Super Bowl, but I think they will do better than that. Um, but this this Bills team is a fighting team, and I think they will obviously will win the division at this point. Uh, it really ultimately comes down to how far will they go. Um, will the Bills try to add more defensive talent at the deadline? Uh, who knows? But honestly, really interesting game, and I think this has a lot of branching out points from here for both teams in terms of, uh, you know, what routes they want to go through. Uh, you know, with the trade line, trade deadline being tomorrow. Uh, yeah, well, my, I didn't really watch this game, but my question was going to be, you know, is, is this a case where the Patriots were competitive like they were against Seahawks and the Chiefs due to their coaching, or are they still a bad team and the Bills are just not as good as we thought they were in the past few weeks? Mm-hmm. Because, I, yeah, just look, based on where the teams were trending in the past few weeks, I thought this game really could go either direction. The fact mm-hmm. that it was goes, I don't really know what really to make of it at this point. I honestly agree with you. Like, I'm definitely conflicted by that, too, because it's like the Bills have not been the greatest over these past couple weeks. Like, they start off really hot. They kind of slowed down. It seems like they're picking up again, but we'll have to see. And the Patriots have been absolutely abysmal over the past two weeks. They lose again here, but they were competitive. So it's really hard, honestly, to like pinpoint where they are. But I think general trend is the Bills are a good team. The Patriots are really bottlenecked by their talent. Um... So we'll have to see, you know, where they go from here. Yeah, well, I mean, that this is, I guess, the result of this game. And no one's really going to care too much in the past few, in the next few weeks. But I guess the takeaway from this game will have to be determined by what these teams do in their next few games. One hundred percent agree. Um, with that being said, moving on, we had the Raiders versus the Browns. A uh, really defensive game here. The Raiders win it sixteen to six. Um, and defensive ultimately, the Browns' offense is pretty abysmal at this point. Um, Baker Mayfield was not great 122 yards passing 12 for 25 uh, 65.5 QBR No touchdowns, no interceptions Pretty abysmal Rushing game was pretty non-existent Kareem Hunt was a leading, leading rusher with 66 yards um, And the next, next leading rusher was Baker Mayfield with 29 So did do well rushing uh, Receiving wise you know, They were without Odell now Lost him on the AC, an ACL injury uh, they were without Austin Hooper, was the big tight end they signed in the offseason because he had appendicitis. Um, he should be back next week, but we'll have to see. Uh, things are really tentative with the appendicitis. You know, they really don't want to have any complications with that or really push him too far. Um, but he, he's going to be in generally good health once he he, he uh, returns. Um, but, you know, David Njoku, who was their first overall tight end pick a couple of years back, uh, really hasn't panned out for them. Um, I was a fan of David Njoku, but it's kind of sad to see him not do as well. And then Harrison Bryant, who stepped up a little bit as a tight end. He had that really good game, I think it was two or three weeks ago. I think it was two weeks ago. 
Um, did do it well last week, actually. Yeah, I think it was last week. You're right. It was last week. Um, he stepped up pretty big uh, in in place for Austin Hooper. Um, didn't have a great week. Uh, and then defensively, we saw Olivier Vernon, uh, Olivier Vernon, get two sacks for the, the Browns defense. So, uh, you know, pretty pretty good on the defensive side, I would say, for the Browns. You know, 16 points is, is pretty solid when you're looking at it as a whole. But that offense was extremely abysmal. On the Raiders side of things, we saw Josh Jacobs uh, bounce back a little bit this week, who hasn't had as great of a season as he did last year, hasn't been as efficient uh, in terms of yards per carry and things like that. Um, but had a pretty good week with 128 yards rushing, couldn't get into the end zone, unfortunately. Uh, Derek Carr, uh, 112 yards passing, 90.3 QBR. Uh, not a great game, but I think he's shown to be this year that he's really stepped up his game. Um, in my opinion, Derek Carr has kind of earned his starting position over Marcus Mariota at this point. Not because he's been spectacular, but because he's been able to manage games well. Um, and I think that when you, the Raiders are sort of steady right now, and I don't think they want to make that switch. If they start to do abysmal, then all, by all means, put in Marcus Mariota. I think he's a, he's a pretty capable quarterback in the right situations. Um, I think for right now, them sticking with Derek Carr is the right move. Um, you know, and then in terms of receiving, um, you know, nobody had a really big game there. And then defensively, nobody did anything incredible. Um, you know, this game was kind of just a defensive show out. Uh, but I think both teams are kind of in a weird spot now because the Raiders are four or three and we talked about the Raiders a lot. They're kind of in this no man's land where they're kind of with the Lions, where they're, they're sort of good but sort of bad, and mediocre teams in the NFL don't really go anywhere. And the Browns, you know, they started off really well. They lost. They, they won. They lost. Uh, they're five and three now, which is the best record the, the Browns have had in a while. But five and three is still not great. Um, and with all their talent being out for right now with Austin Hooper, and then obviously Odell out for the year, Chubb should come back at some point. Um, but that offense was abysmal, and it's hard to ignore that. Um, so one thing I think that you didn't talk about, I will, I will mention, was the wind was really, really heavy in this game. So it was really mm-hmm. hard to get a gauge on either team. I didn't really watch – I watched highlights. I didn't really watch the game fully, but I can't imagine it was easy to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was even worse kicking off. And I remember one of the first field goals, I think it was the first one, attempted by the Raiders at the beginning of the game – um, it was not from very far out. I think it was within the. It was no no farther than the forty yard range, and Daniel Carson Carlson kicks it, and he he gets decent power on it, but it's so windy that the, the ball swerves all the way. It's like it's like almost dead center, maybe a little to the right. Then it swerves all the way to the left. It was just that kind of game, and then and if you were watching the highlights, you can see that I think the cameras are getting a little bit affected too, just based on mm-hmm. how wind, windy it was. So. It is not a lot of offense there. I don't think there was ever going to be. Um, looking on, but on the Browns' offense, offensive side of things, you see a lot of inconsistency there, regardless of the bad weather yesterday. Because you look back to lat, um, two weeks ago against the Steelers, terrible in all phases of the game. Baker Mayfield, especially, did nothing. Um, last week starts terribly, then does so well, and then this week it's just another bad game, and then also. You figure a game like this is going to favor the run game, and with the Browns having Kareem Hunt, who's one of the, I'm going to say one of the best, he's, he gets a lot of yards, and only gets 66 yards in this game. I, I just don't know why that really is. So I think, I mean, they have the Browns have talent, but they just, they just don't really show that they're going to be an elite team. And, you know, for the Raiders, like like you said, and I've been saying over the past few weeks, you're just sucking that no-man's land of just kind of mediocrity. You don't know 
they're not they're not going to blow you away, but they're not going to get destroyed either. So I mean, it is tough, and they, I feel like they've been trending upwards in the past few years from two years ago when they were just awful. But right now, I mean, I, I don't see either of these teams as really a threat. And I really question where is Baker Mayfield right now? You know, he was so good his rookie year in terms of you know in terms of being a rookie. Um, showed a lot of promise, was extremely inconsistent, and he's I think he's honestly taking a step down this year. Um, you know, started off decent, but I, I he's been so inconsistent throughout his career so far. Um, and it's a question of like, is it the coaching? I know they switched coaches, but this coach is a lot better than Freddie Kitchens who they had last year. And we still haven't seen consistency out of Baker Mayfield. And is it, we, and is it really the talent? I mean, he's had decent talent. I just I don't know where Baker Mayfield's at. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do, first of all, with the Browns franchise. They're a mess. Um, the coaching was mm-hmm. that was awful last year. Freddie Kitchens probably one of the worst head coaches I have ever seen. I mean, it's not all him, but I think a lot of it has to do with him. I think we're actually starting to see that. You know, it's it's also about him more than anything. I feel like at this point, you know, in college he was at Oklahoma and he was doing really well. And he was, we won the Heisman this last year. But, you know, when you actually look back to those college years, you think that when he made the playoffs, he never got it done. And that kind of shows now. You know, when I mean, he was obviously able to coach off his talent in college, I mean, he had so much of it. It wasn't that hard. But now in the pros, I think we're kind of seeing, like, kind of truly his mentality. You know, I think at this point he seems more concerned with, like, you know, making himself a figure in the, the media than, like, winning on the field. And it just... It shows you know, in the amount of commercials he's in. You know, when he goes out to the media and says something like, yeah, mama didn't raise any wuss or anything like that, it's just like, dude, just focus on your team. Focus on winning. And if he just kept his mouth shut, tried to grind on the field, and didn't make much noise, I think we'd give him the benefit of the doubt. But he, he doesn't really seem like the leader you want for your franchise. It just seems more about him than anyone else. Yeah, it was funny because I never seen a meme the other day where it was like, um, showing Baker Mayfield's like interceptions for the year and his stats, and then it flipped to the clip where he goes, you know, I woke up this morning feeling dangerous. <laughs> I also remember it was a bunch of memes where it's like Baker was in this many more commercials than he threw touchdowns in this game. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. I mean, I hundred percent agree with you. Like he's just he's been so focused on becoming a figure in the media. I whether the commercials were like his idea or his agents, we really don't know, but. Um, definitely not a good look for him, you know. He's in more commercials than anyone I know. To be fair, they're actually decent commercials, but it's just, why is a guy like him in more commercials than any other athlete I've seen? When exactly. And in two, his entire time in it, they're, they're this year. As long as, as long as you win, nobody's going to talk about the commercials, but he's not winning in terms of in a negative light, but you got to win. <laughs> yeah, and then, With that being said, going on, oh, okay, you want to get something else? Sir? No, no, it's nothing. It's fine. Okay. Um, so with that being said, we're going to move on to the next game. We had the Rams and the Dolphins. Uh, Dolphins win big here, 28-17. Very unexpected. Again, I, I talked about this week having a lot of upsets in games that I did not expect. Um, the Rams have been very good up until this point in the season. You know, a lot. The Rams are probably, in my opinion, contention for the first overall pick going into the season, right? I had no faith in the Rams, and they really started to prove me wrong at the beginning of the season. Uh, we're an excellent team. But they now fall to 5-3 and three against this Dolphins team, who I think... Is, is really moving in the right direction. Um, you know, four and three with the amount of talent they have in that roster and the amount of young talent they have in that roster is pretty promising. Um, Tua in his like first overall uh, start, uh, you know, ninety three yards, not great. Um, Twelve for twenty two in terms of passing, and then eighty two point three QBR. You know, not great passing at one touchdown, uh, but not terrible either, right? Um, not abysmal where he threw lots of interceptions and looked totally lost. 
Um, but he wasn't he wasn't spectacular either. Uh, you know, it's promising time for the Dolphins, especially with the, again with the state that they're in in terms of all the rookies that they have on the team right now, all the young talent. Um, but I think again, this team is trending definitely in the right direction, and they're able to beat a team like the Rams, who have been pretty good this year. Um, it's definitely promising. And then the Rams side of things, you know, Jared Goff doing what Jared Goff does: three hundred fifty-five yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Um, I think Jared Goff, at best, in my opinion, has been always been a game manager. Has never really lived up to that first overall pick that he was. Uh, uh, don't hate the guy, but I never thought he was anything spectacular. Um, and then wide receiver wise, Cooper Cup, another great game there. Uh, 110 yards on 11 receptions. Robert was doing what he does: seven receptions, 85 yards, a touchdown. Um, again, I just think this Dolphins team is, is really something to reckon with, and I think they're definitely heading in the right direction. I think they have the right coach in Brian Flores, and they're going to continue to trend upwards. As maybe not, maybe you know, probably not a playoff team this season, but maybe ne- then one next year we'll have to see. Yeah, I think you know the the culture change that the Dolphins boasted about years ago. I, I think now we're actually starting to see it, where they don't say anything about it. And they go and hire a coach who it's it's not really it doesn't make sense from a tact, tactical standpoint. He doesn't have a lot of experience, but I mean he brings a winning attitude, and honestly he brings a lot of heart. And this team I think plays plays with a lot of heart. You know they don't go out. You don't really go into these games thinking they're gonna be that great, but they end up looking like it. And I just think that's a testament to the culture they've started to build. Like you said, they go in the right direction every week, and they they keep getting closer and closer to it. And you know even. Even a guy like Tua, I think, helps out because I think he's he's a guy who just plays because he loves it, and he. I think it just showed with him, you know, at the after the end of his very first game where he came in midway through, when he went and just sat on the field, just taking it all in. I think he just it just shows it. He backs it up on the field, where he just shows that every you know time he can get the opportunity, he's going to take it all in, and he did that. And he had a good game yesterday. He won. So I mean, I. I think it's really, I have to say, I think I, I think we know about the Rams. You know, we've talked about them. I think we know where they are, like, they're at. But I just want to focus more on the Dolphins here because it's just one of those things where the culture that they're building is really paying off. 100%. Um, again, Dolphins heading in the right direction. Uh, moving on from there, we had probably one, of, I'd say maybe the best game of the week. Uh, 7-0 Steelers, who are now 7-0 Steelers, versus the Ravens. Uh, Steelers won it 28-24. Uh, incredible game. Um you know, on the Ravens side of things, Lamar Jackson struggled. I haven't seen Lamar Jackson struggle like that since his rookie year. Um, you know, 13 for 28 passing, 208 yards, but two touchdowns, two interceptions, 73.2 QBR. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson still did what he did, had to do on the ground in terms of 65 yards rushing. But I haven't seen Lamar Jackson struggle like that in quite some time. Um, and this, this Steelers defense and their offense, frankly, have been incredible so far. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, 182 yards passing, two touchdowns. Um, and then Juju had 67 yards. Uh, Claypool has been a really good rookie for them so far. 42 yards and a touchdown. Um, yeah, I honestly don't know what it is about this team other than the coaching. Mike Tomlin, who we saw him take that really in an awkward state, Steelers, last year and turn them into a solid team. Um, and I think Mike Tomlin, at this point for me, has locked in coach of the year. When you beat a team like the Ravens, who has so much talent and the Steelers who on paper really don't have as much talent as the Steelers, uh, as the Ravens um, or any team in the NFL that's considered top tier. As we've talked about in the past, you come in and you beat, you beat them like that. Um, it's pretty incredible. The Steelers team is just, is something else to me. Uh, you know, well coached. Their defense has been incredible. 
I can't say enough good things about this Steelers team. At this point, if you don't think they're the real deal, then I think you're, you're blind to reality. No, I agree with that. I will say I picked the Steelers to win this game going in, and it's also it's because I think it's something also the Ravens showed yesterday. They just seem to not really win in the big in the big games. I think we kind of saw that yet last year when they played the Titans in the playoffs. They heavy favorites. They go out. They don't play very well at all. Um, for and big big game against the Chiefs this year. Everyone thinks it's going to be a heavyweight duel against two of the best teams in the NFL. Like um likely AFC Championship um, teams. Chiefs blow them out. Uh, the Steelers don't blow them out yesterday. I feel like that's to be expected because I don't think Ben Roethlisberger, although he's been pretty good this year, I still don't think he's you know, capable of being that game changer at this point. He's 38. I mean, it's nothing against his ability, but with the injuries and age, I feel like it's you're bound to regress. But nonetheless, their offense has been really, has been really good. They've been efficient. And, but I thought the kicker was, you know, that defense... You know, knowing how good they are all around, their edge rushers, their ability to defend the run, I thought that was going to be a key, too. I, I really didn't think Lamar Jackson was going to do that well. Sure enough, he didn't. And, and again, I feel like whenever Lamar is really you know, forced to throw the ball, I, I know people get annoyed when people say that, but I think there's some truth to it. He just doesn't do as well. And we've seen the past few games, I and mean, people can say what they want, but I mean, you got to some point got to prove us wrong. You know, when is Lamar actually going to step up in that big game? You, know, you could win all these regular season games, go in as a high seed in the playoffs, but I feel like these are the games that really truly define your your team come playoff time. And we saw last year the Titans were clearly a team that was built for the playoffs. Where did you go? The Ravens weren't. I feel like at this point in the season, I have no reason to think that the Ravens have really improved as a playoff team. They could win a bunch of games in the regular season again. They could maybe win 14 like last year, but I don't see them really doing it much much damage in the playoffs it's games like these even though they're close they don't get it done and that's why i totally agree with you as, as we move on and on i definitely agree with you in terms of the ravens are trending down it's not a good look they don't seem to be as competitive as they were last year um in terms of those really competitive games and, and it's just it's not going to be good for them going in the line <laughs> sorry i had to sneeze um <laughs> no covid <laughs> um but, again, I don't think this Ravens team is trending in the right direction. And as, if they continue to play like this where they go against the good teams and they just don't compete as well as they do against the, the, the worst teams in the NFL, um, they fall farther and farther from Super Bowl favorites. Um, with that being said, we're going to go to the next game. We had the Vikings and the Panthers. Big ups here, upset here by the Vikings, 28-22. Uh, Vikings, Packers. Of, what, what did I say? I'm Panthers. Wow. Okay, Vikings <laughs> Packers. I'm literally looking at the Packers logo, and I, I can't even say it right. Um, you know, big big comeback here in terms of the you know how the Vikings have been playing. Um, story of the day here, in my opinion, as as well as for the Vikings, is, is Dalvin Cook. Incredible game. Uh, 160 163 yards uh, rushing, and then he, um, you know, he had 33 touchdowns rushing, and then receiving. He also put up 63 yards and a touchdown. You know, four touchdowns total. Um, you know, a little over 200 yards, 220 yards. Uh, pretty incredible stuff here from Dalvin Cook, who came back off a groin injury. Um, if you're a Vikings fan, I mean, the Dalvin Cook showing why, he, why he's one of the better running backs in the league, if not one of the best. Um, you know, the more and more that we see Dalvin Cook healthy and play games like that, you know, he really puts himself up there with the Saquon Barkley, CMC, Derrick Henrys. Um, and he's just continually improved throughout his career, and it's really showing this year. Um 
on the Packers side of things, you know, I, th- I didn't think their offense was terrible. Aaron Rodgers, three touchdowns, 291 yards. Um, Devontae Adams with another solid game, you know, only 53 yards for three touchdowns. Um, every game that Devontae Adams has been relatively healthy this year, he's been explosive uh, in terms of his either ability to score or put up yards. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't think it's really the offense's fault. I think the, the defense just kind of fell apart uh, for the Packers in this game. Uh, but, you know, really interesting game here against division rivals and how bad the Vikings have been. They, they showed the Packers who, who started off, again, one of those teams that started off really hot but has kind of fallen apart as they've gone through the season. Um, and the weaknesses have shown in this game it does. Um, you know, the Vikings, I think, are probably the most frustrating team this year. And, you know, it's like I kept saying the past few weeks, you know, if you think about it, this team, I said coming into the year they were a dark horse football contender. Besides Kirk Cousins and their corners, which have been pretty bad, you know, you think if you got guys like Dalvin Cook, um, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, even Kyle Rudolph, then on defense, Jonathan Gokwe is gone now, and then Daniel Hunter, Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, Anthony Harris, Harrison Smith, that's a squad. And the fact that they were, they were one in five coming into this game was crazy because with all that talent, you think they'd be one of the best in their division, but no, they're not. But they seem to be competitive, if not win, in these close in, against these really good teams. Like, for example, they almost beat the Titans. Um, they almost beat the Seahawks. Now they win on the road against the Packers, their hated rival. I just don't know. Like, how? Where's the consistency? Are is this team actually gonna be? Are they gonna be one of those teams like the Giants, who, who somehow finished nine and seven but show a lot of fight in the games that matter? Or I don't know. I mean, it's kind of far fetched now because they're two and five, and playoffs at this point look all but a lost cause. But I mean, you really never know with a team like this who really is talented but somehow has a really bad losing record. Mm-hmm. Um, hundred percent. And with that being said, I'm going to move on to the next game because we are running short on time. Um, we have the Colts and Lions. Pretty good blowout here. Honestly, not the surprise. The Lions are kind of a run-of-mill team. And I think this Colts defense, number one, is really good. And this Colts team is pretty good. Um, Phillip Rivers, three touchdowns on the day. Um, I think the story here really comes down to the fact that, uh, A, I was happy to see Michael Pittman Jr. come back, who was drafted second in the second round this past draft from USC. He's kind of a YouTube personality as well, and I kind of like the guy. Um, he was out with uh, compartment syndrome, which is essentially like uh, lack of blood flow to the, to the leg, uh, to put it simply. Um, but he's back now, which is nice to see. And then Jonathan Taylor had probably his worst game of the year, which I didn't even know Jonathan Taylor was doing this well. Um, but I saw Jonathan Taylor's stats, I think, before the game yesterday. And you know, he's throughout the throughout the year so far, he's put up at least you know roughly sixty yards in every game. He's been extremely consistent as a rookie running back. I don't think people talk about him enough. I think he's definitely one of those dark horse players that can improve over the next couple of years to be really good. He was my number one on overall running back um, from the day. Um, G.D. Hawkinson has another pretty solid day. Um, he's been really good for them, uh, the Lions, throughout the season so far. Uh, but ultimately, the, the Colts just dominate this game. Yeah, not really a surprise here. I know I knew the Colts could be a um, better team. They're not a great team, I don't think, but they're at least a pretty good team. They're competitive. And, you know, I think knowing this is where the I mean, the Titans and the Lions usually start to fall, I think this is about expected. So, yeah, not a lot to say on my part. Mm-hmm, 100%. Moving on from there, we had the Jets and the Chiefs. Also a game not much to talk about here. Um, I'm, if Brian wanted to add a little bit from before, we didn't talk about before. Chiefs went at 35-9, to pretty much a blowout all the way through. Um, the Jets did put up a little bit of a fight at the beginning, but not pretty much pretty abysmal towards the end. Um, honestly, don't know what to say here, but the... He's just dominated. 
through and through. Uh, Brian, I guess we'll go to you. Any comments? Um, I mean, there's not a lot there. It's the Jets versus the Chiefs. It's mm-hmm. to be expected that it would be a blowout. I, I am surprised they scored nine points, though. So I was surprised the Chiefs didn't score 50. <laughs> also true. Uh, I guess one last thing about that game is the Chiefs have the easiest record according, I forget who it was according to, but they had it up, um, I saw yesterday. The Chiefs have the easiest schedule going forward, which makes me question, how does the NFL schedule these these games? Because why do the Chiefs have the easiest record at any point in the season after just winning the Super Bowl? Hmm. I know know it's kind of common. We see almost year after year where the team who just won the Super Bowl has the easiest record. Um... I just question why. To do with how good the team actually is compared to the rest of the league. Also true, yeah, because it's like the Chiefs are, you know, for all intents and purposes, the best team in the league right now. Uh, just coming off Super Bowl and now being seven and one. Um, so it, you know, it's, it's a combination of how good they are, but it's also the, the schedule that they have is not the greatest either. The really the tougher parts of their schedule were the first half, um, which then ended with the Jets. And now they have the easiest schedule throughout the the rest of the year, and they're seven and one. If they went seven and one through the tough part of their schedule, how are they going to do against the the easy part? <laughs> That's going to be uh, if you got any Chiefs players in fantasy, this is going to be a pretty good uh, couple weeks for you, <laughs> right? Um, and I have Tyreek Hill, so very good game yesterday. Um, moving on from there, we had the Chargers and Broncos. This one was a really good game. Um, you know, the Chargers kind of really take the game at the beginning, right? They go up, to, they have the lead 24-3, to um, about seven minutes left in the third quarter, and the Broncos just, just come back miraculously, uh, continually putting up points, playing good defense. Um, and then with, with one second left in the clock, the, the Broncos wind up putting up the game-winning touchdown. Uh, one year pass to KJ Handler, who came out of Penn State this year, um, who hasn't been the greatest, but that's a huge play for him, huge confidence booster. Uh, Broncos come back to win this one huge. I don't know. It was a really good game to watch at the end. But that, that you know, anytime you have a game winning touchdown, it instantly makes it a, a really good game. But um, you know, a lot of fight from this Broncos team who's been injury riddled, and this Chargers team who showed a lot of promise behind Justin Herbert. Um, and you know, to, to Justin Herbert's credit, uh, you know, had three touchdowns. Uh, unfortunately, had two interceptions, which is expected out of a rookie quarterback. But I think again, I still think Justin Herbert stepping up as a rookie quarterback. If you're able to put touchdowns on the board. And limit your interceptions as, as a rookie quarterback. You're doing a solid job, and I think Justin Herbert, through and through, has been the best rookie quarterback uh, through the through the NFL season so far. Yeah, I mean, I I will say the um um we talk about the Falcons and their ability to choke games. Let's not forget the Chargers either. They mm-hmm. in week two of the season they were plumbing to the Chiefs. That wasn't really as big of a deal because the Chiefs were we know just a better team. We could let that slide. And then blowing a 17-point lead to the Buccaneers, barely lo- barely losing to the Saints at the end when they miss a field goal in regulation and blowing a sizable lead there. And now this game, blowing a 21-point lead to the Broncos. I feel like this game kind of exa- exacerbated everything because, you know, this is the first time they're actually playing a team that was inferior to them in terms of skill, and they actually found a way to loss. I feel like the last few games, you can kind of, you can kind of make excuses since they were playing better teams this week there really wasn't such an excuse it's something i think i overlooked i think all of, all of us did but the chargers they need to find a way to i'm not gonna be as harsh on them as the falcons but they, we have to they got to find a way to hold these leads because you know when you go up 20 24 to 3 against the broncos knowing how injured they are that should be an easy win and you find a way to lose i is that on coach i didn't really watch the game that carefully so is that on coaching is that on the quarterback i mean 
it just, I mean, if it's on the quarterback, I mean, it's understandable. Justin Herbert is rookie year. He'll learn, but like either way, it's not going to look for their organization. A hundred percent. Um, so moving on from there, we had the 49ers and the Seahawks. Seahawks take this one 37 to 27. On the Seahawks side, not much to talk about here. You know, giving up 27 points to the 49ers is not ideal. Um, their defense hasn't been the greatest, but Russell Wilson doing what he's done all year. Uh, in my opinion, easily the favorite for the MVP. Four touchdowns, zero interceptions, 261 yards. Uh, DJ Dallas had a pretty solid game for the, the Seahawks, who, who stepped in for Chris Carson with his injury. Um, DK Metcalf was probably my favorite wide receiver in the NFL at this point, just because how explosive he can be, and he's so much fun to watch. Um, 161 yards for two touchdowns, which is pretty big. Uh, coming off last week, where we saw Tyler Lockett go crazy, uh, we now see DK Metcalf. You know, the Seahawks really made it a point to get into DK Metcalf's hands this week, and it proved to bode really, really well for them. Man. You know, after losing last week, you know, they said, let's try and get DK Metcalf the ball again, and it worked out well. Um, moving on from the 49ers side, we saw Jimmy Garoppolo get benched um, for Nick Mullins, who did significantly better than uh, Garoppolo, who passed for 11-16 Garoppolo. Um, 11 completions for 16 attempts, 84 yards and an interception. Uh, Nick Mullins came in 238 yards, two, inter- two touchdowns. So uh, big improvement there. I do question why the, the 49ers are moving so quickly off of Garoppolo is because they think it's his injury and they can't really trust him with his injury. Um, uh, actually, I, it's because he was he got hurt yesterday. He they got hurt. Say, okay. Okay. They say he's going to be out. He's going to be sidelined for a while. I think. Okay. I, I wasn't sure if he got injured or hurt yesterday. No, I, I think I, he, he got hurt. I I've clicking on and off the game because I was trying to switch between the Saints and the Bears game. Uh, the Saints and the Bears game in this game, so I, I didn't see what happened when they pulled him out. Um, I wasn't sure if he was got injured. It was a bench. So I guess it was a benching uh, injury. Ugh. Um. But, you know, Nick Mullins, again, stepping up for the 49ers there. Um, and then more importantly, I think for the 49ers, is, you know, on top of Garoppolo getting injured again, uh, they've now lost, which came out this morning, George Kittle um, for now a couple weeks now with the fracture in his foot. Um, obviously, for all intents and purposes, the best tight end in the league, um, who just now has the enormous injury list that the 49ers have had this year. Um, again, pretty solid team, but they just struggled due to their – uh, you know, I think, A, they're not the most talented team in the league. They're up there. But I think injuries have definitely played a bigger role than that, and it's really held them back this year. Yeah, I mean, I think – I don't even think it's a okay, Super Bowl hangover. I mean, that could be part of it, but just this team is just so injured. It's it's really bad luck at this point. Um, I, I thought they would win that division again because I think when you look at when they're fully healthy, this team is one of the best in the league, except the quarterback position is not really that, that great for them. Anyway, they really don't have a chance to, you know – I feel like at this point they're not going to make the playoffs. They're just too hurt. It, it's it sucks for them, but I mean it is what it is. It happens every team. I mean for the Seahawks, I think that I feel like it's about what was expected. You know, they offense once it's been clicking, it's back to the DK Metcalf game because it's kind of one of those game. It's one of those scenes where it's either the Tyler Lockett game or the DK Metcalf game. And today it's time to be DK Metcalf game. Put up thirty seven points. That's about to be that's about expected. 27 points of the 49ers, honestly, not too unexpected for me because the Seahawks, once again, their defense, as we've said, not very good. And um, and the Seahawks usually, when when close, they usually they rarely blow out their opponents. They were for a while, but it ended up being close yesterday, so not too surprising there. Uh, one other trade you didn't talk about, I will talk about. Juan Alexander was traded from the 49ers to the Saints today um, in exchange for a fifth-round pick in Kiko Alonso. So to me, when I first heard that 
um, Juan Alexander is being traded, I, I was kind of shocked. I mean, he was he's been hurt for a while. I feel like I was actually I was especially a little shocked because I saw Fred Warner go down in that game yesterday. He was their best linebacker. A little shocking at first, but then when I saw they got Kiko Alonso, it made it um, definitely a lot better because it's not he's not as good as Juan Alexander, but not really not exactly a throwaway player by any by any means. So, I mean, for the 49ers, I get it. Even though Juan Alexander has a lot of ability, he hasn't really stayed on the field that much. So, I understand getting rid of him and getting another pick for a year, you're probably not going to make the playoffs anyway. Yeah, and with that being said, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is expected to be at six weeks with the high angle sprain. And I, did, I remember did Fred Warner did go down in that game yesterday. And definitely, uh, I don't know how severe that injury is. Mm-hmm. So. We don't know about that yet. Um, but definitely interesting trade. Uh, Kiko Lonzo, a veteran. Um, definitely a solid player. I think he's one of those players you can add to Super Bowl defense to really help solidify it. Not a player that's going to be really a really game changer. Uh, but Fred Warner is, and if they lo- if the 49ers defense loses Fred Warner, um, you can pretty much kiss those Super Bowl chances goodbye, in my opinion, because that he's really the glue to that defense, in my opinion. I will say, I don't remember what happened to Warner after he went down. There was no mm-hmm. report today, which leads me to suggest that he might have gone back in the game. I kind of tuned out of that game. Okay. Once it was a blowout, I figured they weren't coming back. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't know. But either way, I mean that that trade. If Fred Warner is actually out, that's a little shocking. But either way, the trade makes a little more sense now that they actually got a, a starting caliber player in return. And I, I did the exact same thing where I was like switching again back and forth the games. I saw Fred Warner go down. I watched for a little bit, and then I clicked off. Um, so I honestly don't know. I haven't seen any reports about him either. Yeah, um, which leads me to believe bad, that he might be okay. He, he might be okay. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. We'll have to see. Um, I'll keep I'll keep looking for reports, and we'll get updates on that. Um, with that being said, going on to the next game, we had the Saints and the Bears, which I've been talking about. Uh, really interesting game here. Um, kind of a nail biter. Uh, Alvin Kamara really taking over in overtime and leading the Saints to the, def- uh, the to the win in overtime. Um, Drew Brees, two hundred eighty yards, two touchdowns. Alvin Kamara, 67 yards rushing, and then Alvin Kamara, 96 yards receiving. Uh, Alvin Kamara is so versatile. Um, he seems to be week after week, especially with Michael Thomas continuing to be out, um, be the leading receiver and the rusher for the Saints offense. He's just a, such a good player and crucial part of that offense. Uh, it's pretty incredible. And the Bears side of things, we see them lose another game, which both me and you agree the Bears were not the real deal going into, you know, coming out and winning all those games at the beginning. Um, Nick Foles is, is okay quarterback, but he's not really anything spectacular. Uh, 272 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, rushing David Montgomery's had a pretty couple good games in a row now. Uh, 89 yards for him. And Allen Robinson had a touchdown with 87 yards receiving. Um, yeah, again, this game really came down to Alvin Kamara in overtime. Uh, kind of a back-and-forth battle uh, throughout. Um, and the Saints went in overtime, I think, with Alvin Kamara just rushing like hell and then then getting up a kick at the end yeah I mean going into this game I actually thought there was I actually picked the Bears to upset because I thought they're with their defense and Drew Brees kind of regressing a little this year I thought they would have a chance they came close didn't happen but either way I think we are seeing this Bears team kind of come back down to earth now you know I I said it from the beginning they were probably it was probably one one of if not the least deserved 3-0 start I had seen in my years watching football I saw them beat the Buccaneers, and I kind of started to believe I was wrong about my opinion of them. I thought it seems actually better than I was giving them credit for. And now we see it when they lose handily to the Rams, and then um, 
and they lose this game to the Saints. It was a close game, but um, a loss nonetheless. So I feel like we are seeing them kind of go back. You know, their offense, as we've said, is really not that good at all. You know, Nick Foles. You know, I, I feel like he's one of those players that we we talk about teams. He's kind of one of those players that kind of knows when to win at the right time. But he's never he's never really going to be that guy you want as your franchise quarterback. He's he's much better in short bursts at the big moment than he is leading a team. So I feel like this Bears team, honestly, you know, even if they make the playoffs, I feel like it's going to be most one of those things where Foles might be kind of burnt out by the time it happens. And Trubisky, I, I think we obviously know is not the answer. And then um, you know, for the Saints, it just you know, they keep winning these games really close. They're nail biters. They don't look like the greatest team, but you know they. They're winning these teams. Is there? Are they five and two now? Um, the Saints are. Go back to the statistics. I'm unsure. I'm getting, yeah, Saints are five and two now. Saints. Yeah, I mean they. Not the most convincing five and two, but they have won four games in a row. So, I mean mm-hmm. this. So I mean I feel like this team still will make the playoffs probably as a wild card. Actually, I don't even know. We'll see what happens because this. I don't know. This, this team is kind of hard to figure out. That's all I'm going to say at this point. You know, if I watch carefully, I might have a better idea, like I do about the Titans. But this, the Saints are looking a little bit difficult to decipher. I definitely agree with that. Like I'm, I don't know where I land on the Saints either. As you said, Drew Brees has regressed this year. Alvin Kamara has been incredible, and then defensively they've been inconsistent. So I really don't know to really, really where to place them. I mean, five and two is five and two. That's up near the top tier teams of the NFL. Uh, but those, a lot of those wins have been really unconvincing with how inconsistent they've been. Um, so it is really tough to place them. And it's not really necessarily Sean Payton. It's more, you know, I think the age of the team, that, that the reason they are so inconsistent um, in terms of, you know, they don't have enough young talent. Um, but who knows? We'll have to keep watching the Saints. You know, they could surprise us and continue a nice run. They've got four games in a row is, is definitely uh, something that can't be argued. Yeah, um, no, so definitely. And then going on from there, we have our final game that was actually played. We have the Cowboys and the Eagles. Hmm. Um, awful game throughout throughout the entire game. Um, both teams are terrible. Honestly, not much to say about this game other than the Cowboys are what they are with all the injuries they've had. Um, and then the Eagles have been pretty bad. They got a safety, which I haven't seen a team get a safety all year oh, yet. So I, I will say that safety. So what happened was the Cowboys were punting really late, late down, like twenty one nine was like three minutes ago or something. I was questioning you, know, why would you punt that ball? You have your last, you're not going to get the ball back in time, score two possessions. I was wondering what they were doing. But it turned out to be a, a purposeful snap out of the end zone. They were going to take their chance on the kickoff for onside. So okay. that's what that was. Okay, yeah. I, I was like, I, I wasn't sure about that safety either. And I'm like, I haven't seen get a safety yet. And I'm not surprised there was a team in the NFC East to get a safety. <laughs> yeah, no, um, that, that wasn't like a real one. Okay, so with that being said, um, Travis Fulgham has done well for the Eagles. Um, he's a really interesting story. Again, I talked about him last week coming from the Detroit Lions, not really given much of a chance. Worked his way off the practice squad. He's been a really consistent receiver for the Eagles so far. Um, you know, he's looking like one of the top tier talents in the NFL this year. And if he continues to work and improve on his game, you know, he could be this for, for a long time. Um, he's looking like the real deal, you know, not just a fluke every single week. And if he, again, if he continues it, uh, the Eagles may have found partially their answer at receiver. Um, and then Jalen Rager, uh, Fulgham had 78 yards, one touchdown. Rager was able to put up a touchdown with 16 yards, uh, their first overall draft pick this year. So it was nice to see Rager get involved and get a touchdown um, with him being a rookie. 
But honestly, not much to say about this game. But other than that, both teams are awful, and uh, the Eagles are, are, are now three, four, and one, and have the win, uh, ugh, the lead in the NFC East. I will say one reason I think they're going to win that division, and I, well, the Redskins have this too, but they're just a mess. One thing the Eagles have that the other teams don't really have is actually a strong defensive line. You got guys like. Um, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Luke Jackson, even Derek Barnett—they're constantly making plays. Mm-hmm. You know, I, think, I feel like that's not gonna—that wouldn't alone win you a division in any normal one, but it, it, one like the NFC East, I think that could be enough. I totally agree with you. I think that is a major factor. Um, you know, I think between those teams, I think the right the the Washington team, ugh, the team Washington, you know, they really lack on offense. They have a decent defense. Where I think the Eagles have an okay offense, but their defensive line is really what holds them together. You know, they have the none of the teams are good, but they the Eagles seem to have the best combination of offense and defense. Um, Washington does have a defensive line. I think it's that good as Mm -hmm. well. But exactly one of those things where they're just a mess on the top down. I think that matters more than anything with the Eagles. I don't think they're exactly that. I feel like they have a quarterback who's lost his confidence and a team with injuries. So. Mm-hmm. I, it, which does that? I'm not saying that bodes well either, but I think it's a little um, less bad than the situation Washington's in. Totally. And then going to tonight's game, which happened at 8:15, is now 5:03 on Monday, uh, Eastern Standard Time. Um, we have the Buccaneers and the Giants. Uh, as a Giants fan, we're going to get blown out. It's going to be pretty abysmal. I just traded Dallas Goddard for Leonard Fournette this week because um, I am the I am the number one I have the number one team in my fantasy. League and I lost Raheem Mostert, and I've been kind of looking for a replacement running back, and I, I think I have it in the Leonard Fournette. Hopefully, he'll have a really good night against the Giants. The Giants are not really competing for anything anyway, and this Buccaneers team is by far the better team. And with Tom Brady managing the game, I have no faith in the Giants to win this one. I expect the Buccaneers by a lot of points. Yeah, I totally agree with you. The one thing I'm actually going to be looking for in this game was in what, in one of my leagues, I'm down 15 points, but I, I'm starting the Bucks D. So I'm really hoping they can come through with me. I think it's possible because I, I think they're going to get a bunch of sacks. They can get an interception. I mean, I, I feel like mm-hmm. that Giants offense is going to do next to nothing against that Bucks D, which I think is a top three unit in the NFL. I, it was strange to me to say in the beginning when Brady came that I thought the Bucks weren't wouldn't be contenders still, but they've proven me wrong so far. So, and that, that defense is a large part why. I totally agree, and don't forget about the strip sack. They're definitely getting a strip, uh, a strip sack or a fumble from Daniel Jones. It's got to happen to Daniel Jones. So, that, True, yes. If, if you're relying on somebody to fumble the ball, you can always depend on Daniel Jones. So, with that being said, that ends our NFL segment for the week. Uh, we're going to head into NHL. Max, take it away. Uh, there really is no big news this week. The only thing I really wanted to talk about was that um, Rick Bonus was named the permanent head coach of the Dallas Stars, whether he was coaching them in the finals where they came up short. He had the interim tax to Lana, but it was just a no-brainer for um, Jim Neal, um, star GM, to name a permanent coach. I think he definitely earned the respect of the players. He certainly earned the respect of the organization, and I think with the job he did um, making the finals, especially beating a contender in the avalanche when they, I thought they'd get swept, I think that just says a lot about how good he is. I thought he did a great job making adjustments throughout the entire playoffs when you know they needed to happen, so I I think the Stars would have been stupid to let him walk if they didn't. So, I mean, I'm not going to say congratulations because they it was kind of something where they had to do it. But, I mean, good that they made the right decision there to keep him. And that's really all I have. I think no, nothing in free agency has changed since um, last week. 
the, um, the guys, as I said, signed. They're not going to change. There's no sign and trade, so that, nothing like that's happening. And we also, we're also still waiting on guys like Mike Hoffman and Mikhail, Grand, Mikhail Grandlin and Anthony Duclair to sign deals. I heard a rumor, It's and to be fair, this rumor is from a very not unreliable source, but I'm going to talk about it anyway because I thought it was interesting. I heard a deal where I saw Mike Hoffman might want to take a one-year deal, which is not surprising. That part isn't. But I heard that he potentially could be willing to settle for three and a half to four and a half million. I don't know why a team wouldn't want to pay him more because with a guy who can shoot the puck like he does, he's a perennial 30-goal scorer. I don't know why he wouldn't make um, at least six million a year personally. So, I mean, if I'm Mike Hoffman, I'm definitely holding out for a better deal than five than three and a half to four and a half million. That's that's re- a ridiculous underpayment. I feel like he's going to get more than that, but I'm just I'm really anxious to see where they end up. I'm really hoping that my Preds can land Hoffman because I think he'd fit in perfectly with what we need. We need a, a working second line. I think he'd work in well with Matt Duchesne because Duchesne's a guy who he can score, but he likes to pass. And if you give, you give him a, a real shooter in Hoffman, and we haven't we certainly have the cap, cap space to get it done. And I feel like. For um, my team, the Preds, I feel like we're not, we shouldn't be done making moves at this point because we have the cap space to get it done. Even though we are kind of going in a little, little different direction moving forward, I still think we need to spend as much of the cap as possible. So, yeah, that's really all um, I have to say about hockey. No, nothing really, nothing else really to talk about. All right. Got it. Um, um, we'll go into basketball now. Um, so, the first, I want to, I'm going to talk about the economics of basketball right now and then we'll go into the other stuff. So, with the upcoming, um, what's it called, CBA, right, CBA? Yeah. With So, they were able to delay it a week just to continue to talk it out, figure out the situation. And there's still a lot that they're trying to figure out. Um, obviously, with the pandemic, it's really hard to gauge what next season will be like. And that's basically what I'm going to talk about. Well. Um, so, currently... Their projections are if they start the regular season and whatever type of fan attendance will be. This article said um, if there's like no fans, it will cost the league about four billion dollars in revenue, um, and that's that would be a full season, um, starting when it usually starts. Um, but then they've also talked about pushing it back to hopefully um, allow more fans to be in attendance for. A larger portion of the season and we've talked about pushing it to january um but that could cost the league an additional 500 million to a one billion dollars in revenue um in terms of losses and things like that i'm not sure where that money does come from um but there there's a lot of money that they will definitely be losing going into next season and there's even a possibility for more um i what is there's a possibility for a shortened season, Nick. Okay. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So the, I was hearing I was hearing rumors there's a possibility for a shortened season because of the way the CBA is putting pushback and the players apparently are trying to push the the games back into yeah. like January ish, um, you know, to get more rest. Um, a lot of the t- apparently the TV producers like Fox, whatever ABC, whoever wants to these games uh, ESPN etc etc um, they don't want it to conflict with the uh, the Olympics oh, which is supposed to happen I believe in June um, so they're trying to you know scrunch the, the 
season in, in between like January and let's say May it is, um, and they were thinking about having a possibility of a, like a 50-game season instead of the 82 games that we've become accustomed to, um, which I, I definitely have their own possibility. I don't see an issue with it considering how you know MLB has done a short yeah. season and just the way everything has worked out with COVID. So again, it is a possibility. We'll have to see if it happens. Uh, I I will chime in a little bit. I feel like the, the NHL is in a similar scenario, and they're the league, honestly, that depends on from um, ticket revenue more than a lot of the leagues because they, a lot of their revenue is generated from ticket sales. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's a big part for them as well. I mean, it's obviously this is none of our um, calls or anything like that. We, we Anything we do is just pure speculation, but it's going to be interesting to see how it works out. And I, the NHL also, I think, is dealing with the same thing where they have to get it done by a certain time, number one, to get rest in time, hopefully to start up the next season by October, but also to uh, also to avoid the Olympics. I feel like what both leagues should do is should be like a half, like they play 82 games a year, I think they should play 41, start January 1st, or December 25th, the NBA has Christmas games, uh, finish up at around April, whenever the playoffs start, and then hold the playoffs. I don't think a four, I don't think a 41 game season would be, I mean, it, it definitely is, um, it would hurt the revenue by quite a bit, but I think it's honestly necessary now. And plus uh, for a league like the NHL, they make a lot of their money in the playoffs and not in the regular season. So I feel like it's, as long as you can have a uh, full playoff, I, I feel like it's okay. Although I don't really know the business aspect of all these things. So I can't really speak much more on that. I think, um, Another big part, well, it doesn't really have to do it, but I think fans are starting to realize and need to start realizing that the pandemic isn't going to just affect this season. And it's going to affect probably the next two or three seasons. Probably one to three next seasons until it's all back to normal in terms of the timing of everything and how everything's going to work out. Because obviously this season was pushed back and they're going to try and give players as much time as possible because I don't think... I think what a lot of people were expecting and were hoping to expect that um, from one season, they'll just have a shortened off season and start the next season at the normal time, which definitely is a possibility, but I have a feeling a lot of players aren't going to vote for that sort of stuff to happen and are more just going to want to take the gradual approach to in the next one to three years where it eventually gets back to normal, not just do it all at once. And I think a lot of leagues or a lot of players have begun to realize that a short season isn't the worst thing either. I mean, it it probably helped a lot in terms of viewership for the actual um, sport and things like that. The only thing that they have to keep in mind is the lost revenue. But in terms of that, I also think they have a lot of revenue stored up that could get them through. Yeah, the last thing these leagues are going to do is just fold. They're way yeah. too prominent for that. So, right. And with that being said, I think the MLB is probably the only... only professional sports season in America that we're going to see uh, possibly have like a normal season based upon if it starts in April, if we have a vaccination by that right, and yeah. how con- under control is the, you know, COVID at that point, I feel like they're the only league right now that has the possibility of having somewhat of a regular season. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Um, you know, obviously not applying to basketball and hockey um, and football, obviously. Uh, football may as well next year, but we'll have to say. I think with the baseball, that really helped is the fact that COVID didn't interrupt their season and they were able to start the season with COVID and kind of 
base it off of that and be able to time everything out because I mean baseball ended at the exact same point as it would have any other year, so the time mm-hmm. off isn't really an issue. Yeah, and the NFL is they got really lucky since their season ended before the whole pandemic started and right. they were able to pick off right where they left off. But I feel like the NFL is not really going to be affected much. The MLB, I don't think, should be as long as they can start play by next year, which I can't imagine them not being able to start play when they were able to nine months before. But we'll just have to see what the NHL and NBA do. I feel like that could be a little tough for them to figure out since their season started back. You normally start in October. Obviously, that couldn't happen this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, definitely. Um, with that being said, I guess we'll head over to the other NBA news. Uh, pretty Rockets-based, which is pretty exciting, but it is like the main story of the mm-hmm. NBA this week. Um, the Rockets have found their next head coach. They have hired Steven Silas. Silas? I'm still learning how to pronounce his name. Um, Steven Silas? I don't know. Um, I apologize if I butchered his name. His dad was Paul Silas, who um, was a head coach in the NBA for a while. Uh, I'm going to call him Paul uh, Steven for now. Steven, he was the most recently was the assistant coach for the Mavericks and coach, you know, help Seth Curry, who was pretty developed into a pretty good player. Um, obviously, Luka Doncic, who's been incredible. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of faith in the Rockets of picking the right guy, and hopefully he's really good for the Rockets. Um, with that being said, the Rockets GM, which I don't know if I talked about it last week, left. Uh, yeah, he, he left the Rockets, but he is now signed with the 76ers to be their president of basketball. Um, and it promotes a lot of interesting scenarios, um, you know, with the 76ers hiring Doc Rivers and now having a very capable GM and Daryl Morey, who, uh, for reference, got James Harden to the Rockets. Um, it should be a really interesting combo to see, you know, how, you know, with the coaching of uh, Doc Rivers, who I think is a phenomenal coach, um, with the GM abilities of Daryl Morey, it's like, where will the 76ers go? Uh, rumors are already going that the the 76ers are going to trade Joel Embiid, uh, possibly to the Rockets for somebody like Russell Westbrook, um, which would be really interesting. I don't know how it really helps the Rockets because you know, thinking back to the Rockets a couple years ago, we had Chris Paul, Clint Capella, and we had James Harden. But if we only have James Harden and Joel Embiid, um, I guess that kind of works out to even. I honestly don't know how it goes, but. Uh, would be interesting to trade if, let's say, something like that did happen because then you have Russell Westbrook and Bench and Ben Simmons who both can't really shoot threes. Uh, I don't know how that would work, but you know, a lot of rumors starting there. Uh, really interesting team. I'm just excited to see, um, obviously, where the Rockets go from here because I'm a Rockets fan, but also the 76ers in terms of, you know, they have this really talented GM, in my opinion, um, who could do a lot of good things along with the phenomenal coach. Will it allow the 76ers to be able to pass, surpass and be able to get to a championship? Um, which they haven't done in quite some time, A. Um, and then, B, you know, they've had teams that I thought were capable of winning a championship, I think it was two years ago, where you had Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, who had that group, uh, J.J. Redick, a lot of talent there, and they didn't really go anywhere. Um, again, it should be interesting to see how things change for the 76ers. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just really excited to see both teams. Yeah, very interesting. Um, okay, I think that about wraps up what we have to say for this week's podcast. Uh, Nick, any final thoughts? Uh, not really. If you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, feel free to leave them at my email at nicholashorvethkennyyahoo.com. Other than that, thank you guys for listening. See you guys next week, handing it back off to Brian. Max, any final thoughts? No, thanks for listening like always.
All right, um, not going to keep you guys that much longer, um, but we'll be back with another podcast next week. Let us know what you thought of this. If you have any comments, you can DM us, email us, check out our videos on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Um, yeah. If you have any interest writing for us or adding videos, contact the sport universe 2019 at gmail.com. Other than that, thanks for listening. Bye.